Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where SaaS founders are like magicians. Every time they innovate, a customer's problem just disappears. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders scale and exit. We unleash massive growth and build premium valuation while leaders transform from engaged operator to empowered owner. Really excited to be here with you today. It is National Popcorn Day. It's time to grab a bowl of your favorite popcorn, sit back, relax, and maybe listen to an awesome podcast. But yeah, let's be real. Most of us will probably just end up eating it straight out of the bag while standing in front of the microwave. I mean, popcorn is just too good to wait for a bowl. And maybe if you're feeling adventurous, you can even try adding some unusual toppings like maybe hot sauce or chocolate chips. Both, if you're really adventurous. Just don't blame me if it doesn't turn out well. Yeah, that's one thing I love about entrepreneurs is your sense of adventure. You know, you're willing to try new things, experiment, and be wrong. Now, that's something I think isn't taught in school, except maybe a little bit in, in science or, or maybe art, something like that. I mean, most experiments in science or, or in school anyway, are conducted in like very well controlled environments and simple, predictable outcomes. Now, what do you think? Were you taught to be creative and experimental or was that something that was just kind of educated out of you? Drop me a note. Let me know. But I think that is a critical skill as an entrepreneur to try and fail and adjust and try and fail and adjust and do that over and over until the rocket ignites and takes off. You know, granted, altitude and flight times may vary, but I think too many people never experience that. They stay kind of stuck in the role they're supposed to have or follow the career path that somebody else wanted. Uh, we heard a little bit about that uh, with our guest, Alyssa. Uh, in uh, last week is actually this episode last week where she kind of followed the dentistry path and then moved on. And, and we see that same kind of story with Alexis today, you know, kind of like popcorn, you know, there's something inside that just wants to come out. And when we leave the comfort zone, exercise courage and crank up the heat, what's truly inside pops out true greatness, true expression, fulfillment. And our guest today has done just that. Well, Probably not the chocolate hot sauce popcorn, maybe. I mean the familiar and comfortable career to fulfill life mission, purpose, creativity, and community. This week's episode is sponsored by FounderPath. If you want to scale up, you need capital to do it. You know, you could go raise and give up big chunks of equity for a few bucks, or you could do what the smartest founders do, and that begins with FounderPath. Get non-dilutive capital in 24 hours with no personal guarantee, no crazy fees, and super generous payback times. It's an absolute game changer. It is exactly what SaaS founders need, and the process is unbelievably easy. We've negotiated some special perks as a SaaS Fuel listener. Visit our site at sasfuel.com. There's a special link on the page or up in the main menu up top under resources that says Get SaaS Funding. Get the funding you need, keep your equity with FounderPath. Well, in our last episode, we talked with Ted Elliott, CEO of Capato, the largest DevOps platform for Salesforce. 
He has years of experience as a founder and CEO of tech startups through exits and well beyond. Ted shared a wealth of knowledge and experience. And then last week in our expert series, we had a combination SaaS founder and expert, and that was Alyssa Marshall, co-founder and CEO of Owlish. She started her journey from dentistry to trainer to SaaS founder and gave our listeners a brilliant idea to warm prospects and grow sales through course creation. And that is an opportunity that is way bigger than you think. So if you missed either of those, go back, give it a listen. Both of them deliver a first-class guided tour right into the goldmine. My guest this week is one of the most courageous people I know. She left a sales leadership role she was really good at and stepped into the unknown to pursue her passion, content, and community, something that she was extraordinary at and did it in a very public way, documenting her entire journey on LinkedIn. Through that, she landed a much more fulfilling role where she is thriving and helped quite a few others along the way. She's extremely talented, creative, and freely shares her knowledge and experience on LinkedIn and also helps veterans with career transition through Hire Heroes USA. Welcome to our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, Alexis Scott, Growth Manager at Workspan. Hey, Alexis, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thank you so much, Jeff. Happy to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about your background. It's not traditional SaaS or technology marketing. No, far from it, actually. (laughs) Uh, My background is actually (laughs) primarily a sales background um, with a little bit of marketing woven through. Um, Particularly in my last role, I had a very distinct sales role, but I was allowed to dig in the sandbox with marketing, which was really fun. I thought I learned a lot, and now I realize there's still so very much to learn. <laughs> so working through that right now. That's true for all of us, yes. all of us that way. Oh, that's great. And I think it's really interesting, just sales and marketing working together. A lot of times you, you'd think because the terms are used together, those would be two departments that uh, work hand in hand, but that's really not the case. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been very eye-opening for me when I say I worked very closely with marketing in my last role. So I was at a seed stage startup there at the time I joined, I think I was employee number six. Um, and by the time I left, we were at, I think 14. And so working with marketing was seamless. I mean, it was just a nudge of, you know, Hey, Jacqueline, can you help me with this? And her saying, Hey, Alexis, I need this from you. And, you know, we just worked together so seamlessly that it felt very much like kind of one big team, which I think a lot of people use that term interchangeably, you know, sales and marketing director or what have you. Um, But as a company grows and gets larger, you know, I'm definitely seeing two very distinct teams in the current role that I'm in. And also the importance of the synchronization of those teams, um, just from a, a collaboration standpoint. And really, I had no idea that marketing relied so much on other teams to access the information that they need to do their job. So I'm learning that <laughs> the school of hard knocks of really <laughs> leaning into our sales team and to our, to our CS team, because they really are the front lines when it comes to our customers or potential customers and, and who they might be. So understanding what they're working with and dealing with and and how I can really speak to that from a marketing perspective is really the key to the castle. So when there is misalignment, I completely understand now how that can really be super detrimental to a company um, in both their marketing and sales efforts. I mean, they should really be driving each other. So 
And customer experience is something you have quite a bit of experience with. And so how has the, the hospitality background served your career going forward? Oh my gosh. In so many ways. I mean, I think hospitality as an industry is just about serving others. That's the entire purpose that exists. No matter what role you're in, there is an element of customer service right. in there. Um, and I think in my personality, I'm just, I'm a people person. I love helping and serving others. And so I take a piece of that into any role that I'm in is like, how can I help those who I work with? How can I help the customers that we serve? Um, and how can I communicate with them in a way that is helpful, respectful, authentic, you know, it, it weaves its way through so many things. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. Not a lot of people have that kind of background and thinking about customer experience just in the context of uh, their current organizations. And particularly from a, a technical perspective, we think, you know, we're going to build a, a tool, but it's about that whole experience all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. And really that starts from the minute an SDR reaches out. You know, from from a personal perspective, I know the journey starts when marketing materials sure. reach their computer, but from a human perspective, <laughs> you know, that first touch point of human connection, um, you know, I think that's where it starts. So how do we make sales and marketing, how do we make that process more human in a digital world? Um, f from a customer's perspective or from like an internal perspective? <laughs> I think probably a customer perspective is probably the best way to look at that first, but internal is important as well. Yeah. You know, I think from a customer's perspective, uh, a challenge that I see many marketers face is putting themselves in their buyer's shoes. And I believe that my experience in sales actually helped me really internalize that with everything that I do customer facing is I always think like, why would they care? What are they facing? What are they dealing with right now to make them care about what I want to talk about, what I am selling? Um, and, and when you can do that and flip the switch and put yourself in their seat, it's a lot easier to come up with messaging that resonates with your customers and with your buyers because you're showing them that you understand. And so that's really where I think people should start <laughs> is, is digging deep into who they're working yeah. with, who they want to talk to, what they want to say, and, and really what, what can they communicate and in what way to get them to care about it. So you do have some pretty impressive experience in sales, but that's not your, your big passion. Is that correct? You know, it's, it's a work in progress discovering that I, I thought for <laughs> sure with my last career. Move, I love that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really funny. I, when I left my last role, it was because I didn't want to sell anymore. And that was really the heart of it is I didn't want the quota. I didn't want to sell anymore. Um, and yet I find myself so inherently drawn to the sales motion and to the sales community, particularly, um, and using the tools and the skills that I used in sales, even within marketing. So for example, you know, I told our SDR team, like my goal as a marketer is to be your secret weapon. I want to create content that makes people so interested and curious that it makes your job easier. Um, and how do I do that? I do that through content. I do that through evangelism. I do that through very salesy things. And so, you know, this role is, it's a marketing role, but I'm approaching it from, I think, probably a little bit more of a sales perspective <laughs> than most people would, um, because that's inherent and it's what I'm good at. And as much as I hate to admit that, it always kind of draws you back in. I think I said the other day, it's like, you can take the girl out of sales, but you can't take the sales out of the girl. So that's kind of where- Yeah, I'm there at. you go. I like that. Yeah. And, and I think too, 
you know, you can be good at a lot of things. The question is, what is driving you? What is inspiring you at this moment that you can learn and grow and be passionate about? Um, and it's not always the same at every point in time in someone's career. And so I'm exploring something new and it is, I will not lie, very much harder than I anticipated because I've got new industry and completely new role. So it's a double, a double whammy on that. Um, but I am trying really hard to remember that everything takes time and I have to learn. And, you know, when I look back a year from now, I'm going to be like, oh my God, you were freaking out and look where you are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what is the role of content marketing today and how has it changed over time? It's very broad. You're asking someone who's new. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think in, in my particular instance, it's a couple of things, you know, it's the content that we are creating for our customers that is, you know, long form content, like blogs, like pillar pages, landing pages, even, um, I also work on some email copy. So, you know, what are we communicating to our customers kind of on a regular cadence, newsletters, things like that. The content that really excites me and drives me is social content. I think that there's so much power in storytelling and, and even in our customer stories, if we can pull that out of them and, and where they can talk about how what we provide has made a difference in their company or even in their lives, just depending on what it does. Um, it's incredibly powerful. And I don't think enough people or companies lean into that. I had a call with our founder yesterday. It was like an intro call. And at the end he goes, so tell me, you know, what can I do to help you out? And I said, you can start posting on LinkedIn more. <laughs> and I don't think that was the answer that he anticipated <laughs> in any way, shape or form. And I, you know, I explained and I just said, listen, you know, I am a grain of sand in this company and I can do all that I can to share the great news and to tell stories. But my perspective is, is a solitary perspective. I think there are so many people who would love to hear his story. How did he come up with this company? Why did he create this company? What are the challenges that he faces as a founder? You know, what are some really interesting case studies that he has worked on through building this business? interesting anecdotes with customers. I mean, the content creation list is like endless. And I think he probably was right. like, Oh, wow. Okay. Well, here she goes. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't but, expect that. You know, I hope that he will think about that and consider that because, you know, every single role within a company has a different experience and it's valuable. Yes. And people either one of two things, they're scared. They don't want to feel judgment and they, they don't really know how to say it. Um, or, Two, they, they don't have time. You know, I think that that's a common thing is we don't have time. And so I see the value that social content can provide for a company. And so I'm trying to help share the great news that like, if, if we can get on board with this as a company, it can truly change the trajectory of our business model and the growth that we can see exponentially. Um, it's worth it. I think that's my perspective. I think storytelling is something that, that it really just resonates with people. It humanizes. It makes people relatable. And I'd say I love your postings as well. I mean, you're, you're very active on, on social media. And every, we'll make sure and, and link you in the, the show notes. But everybody should follow Alexis. Um, but, you know, I, I love the, the story. And just following your journey. I mean, even to get to where you are at Workspan. Oh, yeah. And quite a journey it was. <laughs> it was not yes. what I expected. So tell me about that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I left uh, my last role by choice. Um, and that was very scary, but 
I had built some really strong relationships with the leadership at that company and basically the entire company. Like I said, it was a seed stage startup. We were very, very connected and it felt something inherently in me felt very wrong to just say, by the way, I'm leaving in two weeks. Like we didn't have that kind of a relationship. I mean, I'm still friends with my old boss and I'm still friends with my old coworkers. You know, we text all the time. And so it just didn't feel right to me to spring that and not share with them how I was feeling so that they could prepare too. You know, it's like, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. I completely understand. There is not another role for me at this company at this time. And I knew that if I had been able to create some business plan of like, okay, I'm going to make this magical role and here's what I'm going to do. And you're going to pay me X and this and that, you know, I would have done that. <laughs> I knew that was not an option. And so instead the conversation was very much like, I think you know this because we've kind of had some conversations about it, but, um, I, I really don't want to sell anymore. And my understanding is that that is the only option for me. And so I just want to let you know that I am starting to look for employment elsewhere. And it was a terrifying conversation. Don't get me wrong. This was not easy. Um, but my boss at the time was very understanding. And like I said, we were close. She knew that I was starting to have these feelings and we were trying to work through it together. Um, and she just asked me, you know, how can I support you? And I did not have a clear vision of what I wanted to do. And I will tell any person who is looking to make a career pivot. If you do not know what you want to do, don't even bother because it is like climbing the steepest mountain you will ever find. Take the time that you need to really determine the role that you are targeting and it will make your life significantly easier in your job search. So I approached it more at first, like I'm very well connected. I have a lot of followers on LinkedIn. I'm just gonna let the world know that I'm available. And if by chance someone sees this and thinks, oh my gosh, Alexis would be great in this role. They're going to message me. We're going to have a conversation and all things worked out. I'll have a job. That is kind of what happened, but not what happened. So I had a lot of people reach out (laughs) and I had, you know, I had kind of given parameters of like in this industry, that industry, this realm, what have you. Um, And nothing was really like, wow, like that is the job that I really want. You know, there was stuff that I would entertain that I thought could be interesting. And that was in the domains that I was sharing, but nothing, it wasn't working out. Let me put it that way. Um, I did end up taking a part-time job um, at a company that a friend was at that was not what I had expected, which was very challenging for me to kind of navigate that. I ended up staying for about a month and deciding like, no, I need to really commit to finding that full-time, you know, role that is going to propel my career. So that was a bump in the road too. Didn't expect that. Um, and I ended up going to an event called Saster and that was really the, the pivot point in this entire story. So go to this event as a job seeker, which was weird. I have never been to a conference as a job seeker and (laughs) I love the name badge too. Yeah. I was just going to mention that that a lot of people commented on. I felt super awkward and I'm like, well, I can't put this old company on the badge and I don't want to put, they think they require you. Like you have to put a company. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call myself free agent. I'm a free agent. And no, no, I free agent was the company because it was bigger on the name tag. And then um, beneath that, I just had like, 
marketing, content, communications, like kind of broad things that perhaps we could chat about. And that was a hit. Some people thought it was a company. They're like, so tell me what free agent does. Or others would say, you know, what does that mean? And I'm like, oh, I'm unemployed. Like, that's what that means. <laughs> so, um, but it was a great conversation starter. I mean, it was really people noticed and they they would comment and it made for a very easy introduction to a conversation. Side note, I do have someone who messaged me on LinkedIn and said that he did this recently at another event and he said it went swimmingly. So just throwing that out there for a strategic tip. Um, there you go. But, That's great. Yeah. And at that event, one of the evenings I attended a happy hour. And there is someone pretty prominent in the SaaS community who I had kind of befriended online. Um, we had actually never truly connected one-on-one. And I saw him at this event and it was like, we saw each other and we knew each other, but we like didn't know each other. And so he gives me a big hug and he's like, oh my gosh, so nice to like officially meet you. And he goes, so what do you want to do? And I started hemming and hawing and, you know, this and that and the other. And he goes, stop. I'm going to ask you again. What is it that you want to do? And I told him again, and he goes, okay, so content and community. And it was just this light bulb where I'm like, it has taken me at that time, three ish months for you to nail down this pitch in, you know, two minutes and three words, content and community. And I'm like, wow. Okay. And so from that point on, I had a succinct direct answer. Anytime anyone said to me, what is it that you want to do? with my free agent pass, you know, I had that answer. I felt confident in that answer. And a week after returning from Saster, I got hired. I had a job offer. So it's just incredible when you, when you figure out what you want to do and you're able to essentially market yourself for that and have those discussions, the magic that can happen instead of that whole, you know, spraying and praying. And I wasn't spraying applications. Don't get me wrong. These were warm intros. It just, nothing was fitting. Nothing felt right. And so I was very selective. I did a lot of pulling myself out of processes because I could tell within the process, like, "Eh, I don't know that this is the right fit for me. Um, But, you know, I feel very blessed. Ironically, the job that I ended up with was not through a Saster connection. Um, It just so happened to be (laughs) an entirely different connection referral um, that I'm very, very grateful for. But I do think that Saster was like this crazy pivot point that, and I did have a, a swag campaign that people were super excited about. So that was fun too. That's great. Tell me about the swag campaign. Well, again, I'm going to this conference by myself unemployed and I'm thinking, what can I do on social to amplify this, to, to get, and, and selfishly, a lot of it was, you know, in my head, like I'm going to, I need people to know I'm looking for work. So how can I, again, continue to like post about this um, and post about this experience? And so I thought, you know, it'd be really funny to do like a rate my swag. Like I'm going to go to companies because I had gone to Saster the year previously and there's just so much swag. Like, wouldn't it be fun to like photograph the swag and talk about who has the best swag and like, you know, give little winners and this and that. And I made a TikTok about it which people thought was cool. And, and it just made it again, very easy to start conversations. People were excited when like, Hey, can I just take a picture of your swag? I'm doing this thing. And you know, the whole nine. And, um, it it was very popular. People were excited to participate. I had some people messaging me behind the scenes saying like, Hey, come take a picture of our swag. (laughs) So it was really fun. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Very creative ideas. 
I think that's that's really unique is uh, is finding creative solutions to a, to a problem. And so not just kind of sitting back and, and waiting, but being creative and thinking, you know, how can I get myself out there? I mean, the, the free agent, I think that's brilliant. You know, it's, and, and, and I like the, the explanation. What does that mean? That means I'm unemployed. Yeah. So it's not, you know, trying to sugarcoat anything, but it, it prompts those questions. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just engaging, which I, I really like. You're an engaging person anyway. Oh, well, thank you. I but try. That's just, you it's know? brilliant, brilliant ideas. I try to communicate. It's so funny that you say that because I think, you know, in the, the job search process, we have to get really good at articulating our strengths. And sometimes I think that interviewers think you're exaggerating or kind of fluffing your feathers, which we often are, right? Like we want to show up as our best sure. selves. And I have said on numerous occasions, like I have a lot of really good ideas <laughs> people are just like, okay, don't we all, you know? And I'm like, no, I really do. And I, 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 ha I can start to just spin spitball of like all these cool, creative things that, that would be amazing to do and what have you. My challenge is the execution. So like we should make a TikTok, and it should be this, that, and the other, and we could say this and talk about that. And it could look <laughs> like this. And I've never made a TikTok like that. I don't know how to do it. It would probably take me 10 hours to figure out how to do it. So I need someone <laughs> to work with me and do the creation of a lot of this stuff where I'm like, okay, like here's, here's the concept, here's the strategy. Let's do it. <laughs> I think that's great. And working with other people is, is really helpful. I and mean, one, because they have different skills than we do, but sure. even just like your experience at Saster having, you know, you struggle with this for three months and then having a conversation with somebody and coming up with clients and community. So it's, uh, content, it's just content. working through that process. Yes. I, thank you. Content and community. Sorry. What was your question uh, though? Yeah, just, uh, just having somebody else help come up with that, that process, help refine. Oh yeah. is just super helpful. Yes. And I think I am very fortunate in that I have a lot of folks who are, I don't even want to say willing. I want to say eager to help me. You know, it's, it's not even like me having to ask. It's them saying, how can I help you? Even at Saster, I was laughing so hard. I, I said, I have my hype crew with me because some other creators from LinkedIn were there and, you know, we all kind of hung out together. And one of them, um, I was dying because he's like, have you met Alexis? She's amazing. You know, she's looking. If you need someone to do this or that, you need to talk to her. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God, he is my agent. I am the free agent and he is my agent right now. And I didn't ask him to do That's that. That's great. No, he was, he, he was just amazing. And, um, I feel very, very lucky. The people who have become my tribe are incredible humans who really go out of their way to help. That's great. And building those relationships is so valuable. Oh my gosh. Yes. So you yes. had your own, your own brand ambassador. <laughs> I did. I absolutely did. <laughs> well, looking at, uh, one of the things you said earlier was about, um, getting clients and getting them you know, to talk about their story and share their story. And I think that's something that a lot of us want our clients to do. What are some ways that we can do that and help get them engaged, get that story out of them and, and, and get them to, to tell their story? Well, I think this is like the cheesiest answer, but it's so true. Trust is number one. You know, that's, that has to be there. And again, yeah. coming from that sales perspective, that was always incredibly important to me. Um, as I was building sales relationships. So full transparency, the company that I now work with, I built a partnership with in my last role. 
So they were hiring through us because okay. of me. <laughs> um, and so got it. there was a level of trust there. And I think, I don't think that's the reason they hired me. That is the reason they knew about me because the per, one of the people that they hired when he was asked for a reference said my name. So, okay. Very full circle. Right. But that level of trust both ways, you know, I, I don't know that I would have even been super like open to the conversation. I, I always say have a conversation with everyone, but I think I would have been a little bit more guarded when they originally reached out, had it not come from that source. So the, the trust was bilateral, right? He trusted that I was a good person. I trusted that they were good people. Um, and in a client relationship, I think that that's so important. They need to trust that a company has their best interests at heart and the company has to trust that the customer, you know, wants this to all work out and, and for everybody to be happy and harmonious. Right. Um, from like the next step perspective, I think that they always say this, like with kids, right? When you, when you're building a relationship with children, it needs to be like early and often, right? So that communication needs to be with those kids early and often. And it's the same thing with a client and customer. Like you shouldn't wait to see how they're doing. It should be a very early checkpoint of like, are you happy right now? Not down the line. Right. And then also there are checkpoints. We should be doing it often. We should be checking in and making sure. And that's really where that customer success team comes in tremendously. You know, if they have a good solid process in, in place down the line, it makes it so much easier to go to that client and say, would you be willing to share your experience? Would you be willing to offer a reference? Would you be willing to, to help us? Because they're excited and they're happy and that, you know, our solution is doing what it's meant to. And our team has supported them and right. we've built and fostered that relationship through that early and often communication. Yeah. I think that's really, really good insight to think about that. And and a lot of times I think that, that we neglect that until, you know, we're down the line somewhere and yeah. go, Oh, I need this now. And, you know, we're thirsty and we haven't dug that well yet. Exactly. And so it's really, you know, building that relationship and, and making sure that it's good all the way through, not just, not just when you need something. Absolutely. So was it your experience in sales and, and treating customers well? Is that, you know, kind of from the hospitality experience and, and making that, that a great experience, even through the, the sales process? Or where did that come from? I don't know that I would attribute it to any particular role. I think that there are different personality types. Like when I look at how I sell, I'm a very relationship-based seller, which is probably why most okay. you know, the most recent side of my sales career has actually been in partnerships because that's a long-term sales relationship. I know a right. multitude of AEs that are like, once they sign that paper, peace out. I, I have done my job. I have got my credit. I want nothing to do with this. CS can take care of it. That's not me. I, I am very much a, a nurturer. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't attribute it to any particular role. I think it's just who I am as a person. It's really important to me to build these strong relationships that actually go far beyond the role that I'm in. You know, I, I had a phone call today with another former customer who is now a friend. And I value that. That's great. You, know, you the people that you meet along the road in business, they're people above anything else. And yes. so, yes, we are doing yes. a deal and I'm trying to help you and you're spending money and all this stuff. But at the core of it all, you probably won't be in that role forever. And I probably won't be in this role forever. But if I think you're a good person and I enjoy conversing with you and learning from you and, and you know, growing with you, my intention is to take that relationship beyond. 
I'm going to support you as long as you're with your company or I'm with my company. But if for any reason that changes, I sincerely hope that we can stay at least acquaintances down the line. That's a really good way to look at it. So in your experience, what are some mistakes that uh, you've seen in, in sales along your journey? <laughs> you need to re-ask that. What are some mistakes that you've made <laughs> in sales along your journey? <laughs> and everything you say are probably mistakes I've made as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think the first we talked about at the beginning, I don't think people take the time to put themselves in the buyer's shoes. That's mistake number one is, you know, the mm. info dump. The, the me, 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 the I, 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 the pirate situation. Um, I think that's the most common. The other thing I see a lot is people who don't know when to stop talking, right? They're, they're on a call and they get nervous and they just diarrhea the mouth. And so instead of like asking a question and waiting for an answer, they just, someone, you know, someone will start answering and then they just talk over them and keep going and ask their next question. It's like, wait a minute, stop, <laughs> listen, like learn how to listen. It's really important. Um, those are probably right. like the two most universal ones that I could think of. And how important, I mean, from a marketing perspective, you've seen it on that side as well as sales. How important is it to have a well-defined client profile? Oh my gosh. Funny little story about this. So <laughs> In my last role, we were developing that as we were going. It was like brand new startup, figuring out. So the company that I joined is Series C. And I actually had asked our sales leader yesterday, like, can you please send me any documentation you have on our ICP? I, I, would, I need to know who I'm talking to. It's really important. He's like, yeah, no problem. So today I'm just chatting with my coworker and she's like, oh, have you seen this document? So-and-so on our team like made it, I don't know, you know, how long ago. It is the most detailed, fantastic, like ICP document I think I've ever seen. And I'm like, why did no one give me this? Like the day that I started, this is so amazing, <laughs> and fantastic because I don't care if you're in sales, you're in marketing. I don't care if you're in CS. It is so important to understand your buyer your ideal buyer. This is the yes. thing too. I mean, you can have outliers who are different, but I used to like, when I was explaining ICP in my past life, I'd be like, you know, who, who are your customers? And sometimes sales teams would be like, Oh, anyone. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no, that's, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I'm talking about what is the sale that you don't even have to sell because they are so in need of what you are providing for them. They have the money to buy it. They have the team to implement it, that it is like a slam dunk. Talk to me about what that person looks like. I mean, technically, yes, anyone can buy anything who has money, right? That's not the answer. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> you Correct. have to really think about who is looking to buy, who needs to buy, who has the funds to buy, like, Create that picture and work on that instead of trying to cast, again, such a wide net. I think that's a common theme we're learning. A wide net, yes, technically it works, but is it the smartest, best use of our energy and our time and our, you know, all that fun stuff? Oh, I agree. And and I'd argue that it, it doesn't work. I think that the bigger the net is, the bigger the funnel, the, the less good stuff goes in it. Because yeah. nobody really understands if they are the right fit or not. Yep, that's because the true. messaging is so broad. Yeah, very much so. So what was it about the this ICP document that really stood out to you? 
Oh my gosh. It is just incredibly organized, detailed. It's got tabs. It's got situations. It's got, you name it, this guy put it all in there. Um, I haven't even read it all yet. I haven't had a chance yet today. She sent it to me earlier today. <laughs> I was just so excited. So very thrilled to go through that later. That's really smart because that, that shows just the, the level of engagement with the, the clients and really understanding who they are and what they're about, the pains that you're solving and, and why. And so that I think allows you as a marketer and the, the sales team to really identify those and, and speak directly to that instead of the, the generalities and, you know, solving general problem. Like we're going to save you money. We're going to make you money. We're going to save you time. That, that's great. But to really get down and, and drill down into the, the real issue behind that is, uh, is so important. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm in an interesting position because the company that I work for has two ICPs. There's two different products ah. that we sell, which I'm actually not unfamiliar with because Aspireship, the company that I was at previously kind of had two different personas that they were attracting. There was the candidate side of things and then the hiring partner side of things. So I am not a stranger to that, but as I move forward in this new role, it's very important for me to understand from leadership who are they, which persona are they looking for me to talk to? Because again, just like you said, if we're trying to do both, it will not be as effective. We have to pick one, right. you know, for each initiative that we're working on. I think a lot of companies, uh, especially on the, the executive side, don't really understand that the difference, the nuance until you really explain it that way, that there are two and it, the messaging is completely different. Yes. You would talk to a candidate completely different than you would uh, a hiring manager. Oh my gosh. They're just, they're in two different <laughs> places. They have two different problems. <laughs> and so that the message is just, you, you can't message both. And the same thing is true. I mean, your, your market can't be the entire world and, uh, and be effective. Yes. So how do we break down silos uh, between sales and marketing or yeah. you know, other departments within the companies? I am going to have like a controversial theory on this. I uh, love it. Bring yeah, it on. I don't even know that this is controversial, but it might be. Um, I firmly believe it starts at the top. It starts with the leaders of the teams. So if the sales and marketing leader are hand in hand, walking that path together, I do believe that trickles down to the team. If for any reason they are at odds, there's not a sense of trust, there's not a faith in the other doing their job well, that is where I believe the breakdown starts. So if I'm having a conversation with a sales leader as a marketing person and they're like, yeah, I don't know, like it didn't work in the past. So I just do whatever you want to do. That is not the attitude we're looking for, friends. <laughs> I need you to help <laughs> me understand, okay, it didn't work in the past. What do you think I can change to make that better in the future? What, where did we, where was the miss? You're the front lines with the customers. I need you. I need you to help me, you know, and, and I also think that coming from that place of understanding, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but really coming from a place of understanding of what your own teams are dealing with. What are the challenges that sales is facing? What stresses them out? What, what are they looking to achieve? And how does what I'm doing help them? If you can approach your conversations from that perspective, they're far more likely to give you what you need to do your job well. And it goes the reverse, right? If marketing is doing everything they can and sales sees that they're trying to support them and they're taking their ideas and they're listening to what they're saying about the customers and what they're needing. And, you know, what we're putting out is what they would put out themselves and it's not working. I think there's a lot more forgiveness there of like, okay, how can we work together to brainstorm on how we can make this work? Um, but again, it starts from the top. If there is discord at the top, that's not good 
for anybody. Yeah, you're right. And and that happens a lot. And a lot of times it's it's pretty sneaky. So it it's not always, you know, completely overt. Yeah. It's just kind of behind the scenes. Yes. But that definitely happens a lot. So it, it's up to us as leaders to solve it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. That's a good theory. And so I, let's hope it's a little bit controversial. Okay. You know? I hope so. I mean, I, and I hope it's not <laughs> warm, right? Like that's, that's my hope is that it starts to change and to where teams are not siloed and teams do collaborate. And in that true, like cross-functional meaning of being able to dip your toes in each river or whatever. I had that at Aspireship. And I think that that's unique. I'm now seeing like the bigger the company, the more people and players that you have to work with. Um, but Jacqueline, who I worked with, I mean, we were just so amazing at helping each other and sharing ideas and working together to come up with solutions to help both of us in our roles that I'm spoiled. I'm really spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad thing at all. No, no, it was a really great experience. And she is just an incredible human and marketer. And, you know, I'm very grateful for that experience. She did teach me a tremendous amount of marketing strategy and, you know, how she approaches problems that are very different than how I would have originally. Um, and they're smart. I should be using things like that. <laughs> so a lot of our listeners are SaaS founders. Uh, many of them are, are technical. They don't come from sales and marketing. Yeah. So what sales and marketing tips would you give um, to somebody that's in that position that maybe doesn't have that background, but oh. is more technical? Okay. Do you have your pencils ready? So the first thing is, <laughs> have you determined product market fit? That is like, do not hire a salesperson if you have not figured that out yet. That's my advice. You got to be your first salesperson. And once you determine, okay, people actually want to buy this, great. Then you build out your sales team. That's number one. Um, (laughs) Number two. That's really smart. Yeah, right. I mean, fairly logical, but you see it often where founders are gung-ho and they're so excited because they've come up with this magical creation and they want to get it to the world. But you sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. So that's number one. Right. Number two is what is your competitive advantage? I think that there are so many similar products on the market right now. If you don't have that nailed down and you're not able to articulate that, your success rate will be slim. And I actually have asked people that in interviews for companies that I have, you know, applied for is like, well, wait a minute, what makes you different than your competition? Because if we're, if if you can't articulate that to me, this is a fail at start. Um, so that's really important too. Um, the other thing I would say is to really think hard about your compensation model before you bring on your sales team. The fastest way to piss people off and lose a sales team is to move the goalpost. So we're seeing it a lot wow. right now in these market conditions. I know a lot of people who are confidentially looking for new employment because they feel like their trust was betrayed. Because, think, you know, goals are being moved, um, commissions are not being paid now, the, you know, they're being pushed out to the next quarter. And I understand that companies have financial restrictions that they have to abide by. You know, sometimes you just can't get around it. Salespeople are driven by money. You mess with their money, that's not going to go well. So something to consider um, when managing. <laughs> um, 
You know, and the other thing is when you are considering building your sales team, a common mistake that I have encountered in my last role was founders who think that they can hire cheap or inexpensive talent because it's not that hard. And so they're open to people with diverse backgrounds. Now, while that is very honorable, if this is your first sales hire, that is very unwise. You need someone who has gone through the motion before, who can help you build, who can help you tighten that product market fit, who can communicate with your customers in a way that, you know, will be successful. For someone who has never done that before, it's very challenging, especially if they don't have someone very closely managing them and guiding them and helping them grow, which I always tell founders, you don't want to be a salesperson. You want to do founder things, right? Do you want to manage an SDR? Right. That's what you're going to end up doing. So I encourage them to look at, a, you know, an SDR role as a very challenging role. People, I think, misjudge that all the time. Oh, they're just making phone calls. They're just setting appointments. It's not hard. Actually, it is hard. How many emails do you get in sure. your inbox every day? How many calls do you not pick up? Because it's no one you know. That's what they're up against right. day in and day out. So not only is there a skill set that needs to be there, but there's that resilience that is hard to come by. A lot of SDRs don't last very long because of that. So just a lot. Of, I mean, I could go on, on about hiring like that. This is my jam. Talent is like my little secret passion, <laughs> particularly sales talent and sales hiring and sales hiring strategy. That's like, oh, my God, my heart soars. So I'm going to stop there. But I have lots of things I could say. <laughs> Well, I think you hit on some really, really important things. I think a lot of times founders think if I need more sales, I just hire salespeople and more sales happen. But that's yeah. not no. not really the case. You can't just throw people at a problem and assume that that's going to work. Exactly. Uh, particularly in sales. And a exactly. lot of times that, that first VP of sales hire uh, in SaaS companies doesn't last. And, and I think it's probably, you know, 75, 80 percent, maybe more that the, the first shot is is wrong. Right. From a hiring perspective, what should people be looking for in their early sales hires or maybe even the first sales hire? They're, they're doing founder-led sales and they want to, to bring on that first rep or VP of sales. What should that look like? So I think experience, number one, is, is I, I hate to say it, I do think it's critical. Um, do I think it needs to be in that particular vertical? I'm kind of wishy-washy on it. I mean, the nice thing is they understand, they're more likely to understand the product and how it's going to be helpful to people than if you have someone say going from like e-commerce into FinTech, right? Like it's a little bit different of, right. a, of a service or product. Um, I don't necessarily think that you need to go straight into hiring a VP of sales. Um, I think that if you find an experienced account executive who knows how to close deals really well and who's looking for growth, I think that's a tremendous opportunity for a founder to find that diamond in the rough who can grow and who can, has no problem, you know, rolling up their sleeves, boots on the ground. They're going to figure it out. Um, you know, if I was a founder, that's probably the strategy that I would use. Um, but again, my background is sales. If you're a technical founder and you're not really sure how to build that sales structure and that compensation structure and, you know, all of the pieces and components that go into a sales program in that situation, I might look for someone who has led a sales motion before, um, just personally. So that's really good advice. Well, where can people learn more about you online? Yeah. So I mean, obviously LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn. 
<laughs> LinkedIn is my jam. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn and I know you're going to drop my link, but it's Alexis J. Scott. Yes. I work with a company called Workspan and marketing. Um, on my LinkedIn, I have a little tab that says like my podcasts and articles or whatever. You can see all kinds of content and fun things that I've done. I have pictures on there too. And you can, you know, check out the fun stuff that I'm working on. Um, but that's probably the primary source of how to connect with me quickly and easily. Okay. We'll definitely make sure that that is in the show notes. Thank you. And really enjoyed our conversation today. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. I know this has been a long time coming with scheduling and what have you. And we had our little uh, technical difficulties at the beginning, but I'm glad we survived. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Alexis for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights with us. Learn more about Alexis on LinkedIn. Her profile is linked here in the show notes. She posts nearly every day, which is incredibly hard. And the content is fantastic. You know, I love the one last week where she didn't know what to post. And so she posted that, you know, you should definitely follow her because her content is exceptional. It's always on point. And as always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com, including the link to her profile on LinkedIn. So click that, go follow her. You know, while you're there at sassfuel.com, subscribe, follow us on whatever platform that you like. They're all listed there. And everyone who subscribes this week gets a lifetime supply of Courage brand popcorn, packed full of entrepreneurial greatness just waiting to come out. Chocolate and hot sauce is optional. Join us here next week where a founder episode features Pulkit Agarwal, or PK, founder and CEO of The Fifth Ingredient, a SaaS that is revolutionizing the brewing industry. He's really built something special that is laser focused on a niche that is ripe for disruption. And then later in the week, one week from today, on our expert series, Irvin Ang. Irvin is a master of lead generation, specifically email marketing. If you want more prospects and better engagement along the buying journey, this is absolutely for you. So we'll talk soon. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sassfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.